Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on earth. The word of the Lord. Let me uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit making your word alive in our hearts and our lives. Would you change us? Would we not just come in contact with your word and walk away unchanged, but would you change us? Help us understand your word. Help us understand you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this week I'm talking about prayer, and I'm sure we've all done prayer at some point in our lives. Maybe you've never prayed. I would be surprised, but I think we've all attempted to pray in some way. And maybe you've wondered, is this doing anything? Like, is my, does, my, does my prayer work? Does this make a bit of difference? Uh, some people think, yes, prayer really works. Prayer really makes a difference. Uh, but a lot of people don't think prayer does anything except make us feel better about ourselves. And you can see this, like if you go online, you can see there's memes about prayer. And I actually brought a couple. Uh, so this is the first meme. It says, I name my cats thoughts and prayers because they're useless. I actually kind of think that's funny. So like, if you're laughing, like I'm not condemning you for laughing about that. But this, sadly, this is like a pretty popular sentiment. I, I, I honestly don't think that sending your thoughts at someone really helps. But I do think that if you're praying to the right person, if you're praying to the, the God of the universe... He has the power and the authority to make a real difference in your life. But there are some more serious situations than this one that we wonder, is God going to answer our prayers? This is another meme that's not as funny, uh, but it, it came out right after the Parkland shooting. So when you're in school and the thoughts and prayers kick in. There's a deep message behind this. The message is, stop praying, do something else, because prayer doesn't make any difference. Well, that's tough. Like, we spend time praying here at Cornerstone because we believe prayer works. And we know if prayer works, like most of us would say, yeah, I believe prayer works, but we know if prayer works if we pray. It's not an answer that you can say, oh, yes, I believe prayer works, and then never pray. 
So if you pray, well, that shows you believe. And if you don't, then maybe you don't believe in the reality of prayer. But today, despite these two memes that have a pretty anti-prayer message, I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us that prayer does work. Prayer does matter. Prayer can make a real difference in our lives. And then I also want to help us understand what to pray for. Better unpack, unpack prayer. And so we're going to get to our first point from Luke chapter 18, verse 1, which is an encouragement, especially when we see memes like that. Always pray and never lose heart. Always pray and never lose heart. This comes from our first verse in Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I love that the scriptures, like Luke in this parable, it's like one of the few parables that just like up front at the beginning, he tells us what the parable is about. Sometimes we just have to figure out what the parable is. A parable is a story uh, told by Jesus to illustrate some sort of truth, and oftentimes parables are confusing. But Luke tells us what it's about. It's about praying and never losing heart. And I want to break that down. What does that mean to always pray? Well, it means pray consistently and regularly. Pray consistently and regularly. Now, this passage in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says, you know, they should always pray. It sounds like another passage of Scripture that maybe some of you have heard and you've read and you've felt challenged by. And it's this one from 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually or pray without ceasing. So pray continually, NIV, pray without ceasing, the ESV. Those are different translations. Well, this word for continually really means to have a consistent practice. One pastor I was listening to, as uh, I was listening to sermons on this text this week, he said, this doesn't mean that, we, uh, that prayer in our life has to be constantly occurring, because that's impossible, right? Like to, to be literally praying 24-7, or, or only a few will ever get to that point. Instead, he said, it's to be, prayer is to be constantly reoccurring. So not constantly occurring, but constantly reoccurring that we should have a consistent and regular pattern of lifting up our prayers to the Lord. As we go throughout the day, we can pray. As we think of things, we can pray. As we go about our daily practice, as we wake up, as we go to bed, as we uh, sit at our meals, we can pray. Prayer is, at a basic level, it's talking to God. I like the definition, prayer is like pouring out your heart to God. Because it implies more of a relationship than just talking at someone. Prayer is pouring out your heart to God. Now, I think if we look at the parable of this widow, we're gonna, so we've already read it, uh, but this widow seems to match up this idea of prayer happening consistently and regularly, right? Because she consistently goes back to the judge to say, give me justice. She goes back regularly. She is not standing in front of the judge 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. No, she's going back to him consistently. And so this is to be our pattern of prayer, consistently, regularly. So I want you to take a moment and think about your life. Most of us probably say, man, I, I need to pray more, <laughs> or you at least wish you had more time to pray. 
So think about your life and think about those times when you do something regularly or consistently. So maybe it's your commute to work. Maybe it's driving the kids to school or events. Maybe it's going to class. Well, maybe you could take those times, the first 10 minutes of your drive, driving to Dunks or Starbucks, 10 to 15 minutes, and pray. And if you do that every day, you're going to begin to get into a consistent pattern. And if you're like me, you probably get distracted with your thoughts. Like you're, you're like, am I praying right now or am I just kind of thinking? Am I praying or am I thinking? Well, sometimes it helps to, to pray out loud, to have a verbal conversation with the Lord because it'll... It'll keep you focused on praying. This woman, this widow, she serves as a model for us, for how we can pray. And we can serve as a model for our family members, how they can pray. If you're a parent, you can be modeling how to pray. If you're praying out loud before your kids, they're learning how to pray just by listening to you. There's lots of good things about taking the time to pray regularly, consistently, pray out loud. A cool part of Cornerstone's story, and this is not to lift up Karen Tang, but this is to lift up God, was that when she would drive by Cornerstone, she would pray for this building. So Westford Bible Church before us, like for years before Cornerstone came. And it's cool, so how a consistent and regular pattern of prayer led to God doing something. Now, would God have done it apart from prayer? Perhaps. But he likes to work with our prayers and through our prayers so that we can catch a glimpse of him. If we never pray, we can't ever know if God's on the move. (laughs) We can't ever catch on to what God's doing because we're simply not looking for what God is doing. I think he waits for us to pray so that once we've prayed, he moves, and then we're like, oh, (laughs) God exists. God is real. God can answer our prayers. So pray consistently and regularly. In the second half of that first verse, we get this reminder to never give up. Never lose heart. This is the same word we find in another passage of Scripture that I've found encouraging many, many times. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary. It's the same word, never give up. Let, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Continue to trust. Continue to believe. Continue to pray. God can answer our prayers. God has power and authority that we can tap into as as, as he answers us in his wisdom. I really like a a, a illustration, I've used it before, but it's an illustration from C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treaders. They made this into a movie. Maybe you've seen the movie. Maybe you've read the book. I'm going to quote the book. I kind of give you an idea of the book. Uh, There's three main heroes in this book. There's Lucy, who's a young girl, her brother Edmund, and her cousin Eustace. They've been transported to the land of Narnia, and they're on this adventure, this voyage. And, And there's a Christ figure in the story. His name is Aslan. 
C.S. Lewis is writing about Christianity through this story. And as they're going on this voyage, they come to an island. It's this island where dreams come true. Now, maybe you think, oh, that sounds great. I love my dreams to come true. But it's no, it's like your nightmares come true. It's a scary place. It's a dark place. And as they sail up to this island, as they sail around it, they begin to get lost, begin to hear noises. They hear like giant scissors cutting and, and enemies crawling up the side of the boat and loud gongs and all the sailors and everyone is terrified. And Lucy, who is the model of what it means to be a Christian, her brother is too, but we really follow her in the story. What does she do? <laughs> she prays. She prays in the darkness. That's a reminder for us as we're in our darkness or as we're going through our week, pray. She prays this. She prays, Aslan, Aslan, if ever you loved us at all, send us help. Now, the darkness did not grow any less, but she began to feel a little, a very, very little better. After all, nothing had really happened to us yet, she thought. And a ray of light kind of breaks in the clouds, and she sees this like a symbol, she sees this pattern, the pattern of a cross. It's actually an albatross that comes down and it lands on the mast of the boat and, and it sings out like one chirp, one song, and then it flies away and the ship crew is like, let's follow that bird. And they follow the bird and it leads them out of the darkness and into the light. And then it says this. It says, but no one except Lucy knew that as the albatross circled the mast, it had whispered to her, courage, dear heart. And the voice she felt sure was Aslan's. Let's get right down to the heart of it. We pray so that we will never lose heart. We never lose heart because we pray. I'll say that again. We pray so that we will never lose heart. We never lose heart because we pray. It's through prayer as we pour out our heart to God that God can then pour into us courage and hope and faith and belief. And so pray consistently. Pray regularly. Pray your heart out. Never give up. And now let's look a little bit further at this parable. Now asking the question, what should we pray for? <laughs> what can I pray for? Well, I think you can pray for anything. It's never wrong to pray. But I do think our passage directs us to pray a certain way. So that leads me to my next point. Pray for justice when justice seems far away. Pray for justice when justice seems far away. Now I'm going to read Jesus' parable from verse 2 through the first half of verse 8. Now he said, Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, 
Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. I think the first point, you know, the sub point from this is to pray personally. Pray for personal justice or uh, pray personally for vindication. Pray personally for vindication or pray for personal vindication, personal justice. This is what the widow is teaching us by her example in this prayer, in this, in this story, in this parable. This widow is kind of an example of the psalmist David. I don't know if you're familiar with David and his psalms. David prays all the time for personal vindication, that he would be proven to be right, he would be justified, that people would know that he was innocent. Psalms 86 verse 2 says, Preserve my life, says David, preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you, you are my God. It's so good that we can pray what the Psalms say, that we can pray with the Psalms, that we can pray with David, the guy who lived 3,000 years ago. We can pray with him. He's, he understands what we go through because he went through things like that. So when you feel wronged or hurt, and when you feel justified, don't lash outward, lash upward. Lash out to God. Say, God, this is wrong. Pray to the one who can vindicate you. Because he's the one who can make a difference. See, I don't think this, this prayer is just a, a call to pray for our wants. Like the things that we really want. Like, like we're kind of bugging God. God, give me it. Give me, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> I did that when I was a kid with my dad when I would want something. And it, it did actually work uh, fairly often. Uh, but I don't think that's what he's teaching us in this. We're not to just start bugging God. We're to, we're to come to God and pray for justice. Pray for personal vindication. So we're, we're to pray consistently, regularly, personally. We also think we're called to pray specifically for God's justice. See, orphans and widows, they were an at-risk class. They were vulnerable to society. They, you could take advantage of them, especially widows. And we see that in this story. She doesn't appear to have a husband or a son or any man in her life. Like, she shouldn't be the one to go to the court of law to speak on her own behalf, but she does because she has no man to do it for her. She's at risk. She shouldn't be taken advantage of like this. Someone seems to have taken advantage of her. She has suffered some sort of wrong. And we don't know exactly what she suffered, but according to one commentary, I was reading on the kind of like cultural history, cultural backgrounds. Uh, in, that, in the culture, if, if uh, a woman's husband died, like she didn't inherit the property. Now, if, you're, if you died or your spouse died, like, the house wouldn't change ownership. But in that culture, the property and the house changed ownership. 
Now, she was supposed to receive a kind of settlement, a settlement that could take care of her. So it's possible that either she's been kicked off the land prematurely, kicked out of the house, or she hasn't received her settlement. But what we do know from the text is that she deserves justice, that she is right. And the judge is not a good judge, and he refuses to grant her justice. So here we have kind of a woman in a low position. We have an at-risk, vulnerable woman, a widow, who's powerless and needs help, and we have a judge. We have a judge who's, who's powerful and has authority, and he's not very good, and he misuses this for his pride and for his reputation. This judge was supposed to judge righteously on the Lord's behalf. I'll give you a glimpse of what judges were supposed to be like according to the Old Testament. King Jehoshaphat, uh, we were almost going to name Elijah Jehoshaphat, uh, but he, he, uh, he said this, 2 Chronicles 19, 6-7. He told them, consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no justice or partiality or bribery. So this man does not fit the justice of God. He is not a good judge. He is supposed to give out human justice, and he does not. I read an article uh, this week about a judge, about the current judge uh, presiding over the Manafort case. And his name is T.S. Ellis III. T.S. We also thought about naming Elijah that. T.S. Ellis III. And the article described him just like kind of as a person. It said he was a, a tough judge. <laughs> a tough judge uh, because he would only let people and his lawyers that were arguing his cases deal in facts. Like he won't let someone come up with a theory that is not based in facts, it's based on emotions. You have to deal in facts with him. So he is tough, he's law-driven, that means he likes to obey the law, and yet he's also been known to show compassion on those who take personal responsibility for the wrongs that they have done. And when he sees that someone needs to get justice in a certain way, he tries to help them, even defendants. That's not the kind of judge this woman had. That's the kind of judge that we want that more carefully and closely reflects the judges that that Scripture wants. That's not the kind of judge this woman gets. This judge isn't afraid of God. He's not afraid of God. He's not afraid of of what people think of him. He's very prideful. He's very prideful. And really what causes him to give in is this bugging. (laughs) So... I don't want us to miss kind of the, the justice aspect of her prayer, of this story. That she's an oppressed, at-risk people group, and she's praying for justice, justice by God. So first, we should pray for human justice. This is a, a quote. I read this book recently, Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. It really made me think. He said, the opposite of poverty is not wealth. In too many places, the opposite of poverty is justice. And often it's the the poor people groups that are oppressed the most. 
the ones who have no power who, who suffer. And we see that in the story. Jesus is telling us about this widow. So we should pray for the oppressed, the at-risk, for us, for those around us. We should pray for the elderly. We should pray for the unborn. We should pray for the mentally handicapped. We, could, we should pray for refugees and those who are impoverished and poor. And there are many other at-risk people groups that I can't think of that maybe spring into your mind, and we should pray for them, that God would protect them, and it does make a difference. It's not useless. So we should pray for human justice, but we should also pray for divine justice. Now, if you notice in this text, this woman needs protection from her adversary. Adversary is a word used in the New Testament to describe Satan. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So not only should we pray for human justice, we should pray for spiritual justice because we recognize our real enemy is Satan. It's the lion that prowls. And when he gets control of his situation, there often it manifests itself often as human injustice. So you can say, wow, Satan's really in charge there because bad things are happening to the oppressed. That is the opposite of Jesus in his kingdom. And so when we see things happening in this world, we don't just pray for the, what we can see to be solved. We pray for that, but then we also pray for the behind the scenes to be solved, for Satan to be dealt with. For Satan to be pushed back and sins to be forgiven and people to be cleansed in their hearts so that it, it cleanses our social structures and our situations around us. So let's pray for God's justice, both human, both divine. And let's pray against the evil one. Let's pray against the tools that he has. Now, sometimes it feels like God isn't going to act. <laughs> Like, we can do all this praying, and God's not going to do anything. Especially when we pray for justice, and unjust situations continue. Well, God has not forgotten us. And we see that in this passage a little bit later. See, God seems far away. Oop, go back one. God seems far away, but he is not. This passage contains an argument called a from lesser to greater argument. In other words, if this lesser thing is true, if this woman can get this judge, who, who's not a good judge, to do her thing, then how much more is this greater thing true, that God loves us, his children, and God will answer us? Because he's not a bad judge, he's a good judge, and he, he wants to answer our, his children. It says, how much more will God grant justice to the elect? He uses this word, the elect. Who are the elect? Those are... God's people, the ones that he has chosen, his family, his children, who he has adopted. See, we, have a, we believe in a loving father who's chosen us, who's called us. And he, and he sometimes seems far away, but he's not. Now, if we look right before our passage to the end of Luke chapter 17, we see that the end of Luke chapter 17 is actually about the second coming of Christ that one day Jesus is going to come back. And we see this in verses 22 through 24. 
Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. See, when we experience hardship or discouragement, injustice, and when we come before God with our prayers, even our prayers for our wants, we've got to remember that one day Christ is coming and Christ will answer the deepest desires of our heart for justice and for goodness as he restores all of creation, as he deals completely with sin, sin in people, sin in our world. Jesus is coming back. But sometimes it's easy to forget that. I mean, that was 2,000 years ago that that Jesus said these words. That was 2,000 years ago. That was a long time. And if the pattern continues, he's not going to come back during my lifetime. But we don't know that. He could. Actually, you're one day closer to Jesus' return than you were yesterday. That's pretty cool. (laughs) It should be an encouragement to us. Justice is going to come with Jesus. Justice comes with Christ. Do you believe that? Then pray. Justice comes with Christ. Do you believe that? Then pray. Our parable ends, second half of verse 8. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's kind of cool that there's thunder outside right now as I'm preaching about this. Will he find faith? Will people be believing? Will you be believing? Like, will he find faith in your heart that Christ is going to return? Like, I, I can't remember the last time I was like praying, Jesus, come soon. Jesus, come bring your justice. And this passage is such a good reminder to say, let's pray for Christ's return. Let's pray, Lord, I remember that you're faithful and you're good and you're going to come and you're going to bring justice. That's what the faith is. We can look forward to that day. And it's okay that Christ has taken his time, but one day he will come. And so we continue to pray. Justice comes with Christ. Do you believe that? Then pray. Now, I want to take a moment and point out the most significant aspect of this passage. It's this. Justice comes whether you're in Christ or apart from Christ. But to be in Christ, you'll be granted mercy. You'll be granted mercy for all the sins and the mistakes that you have made in your lifetime. But if you're apart from Christ, in other words, you do not believe in Jesus, you don't really know him, there's no faith in you in him, then you'll have to answer for your sins and your mistakes. And if we were to look at this story again, I think if we were to be real honest in our hearts, we would actually say, you know what, in my heart, I look more like the the wicked judge than I look like the good widow. See, in my heart, I often don't care what God thinks about me. I often don't care what others think about me. I care about me. (laughs) See, we all stand guilty before God. We all stand condemned apart from Christ. 
See, the gospel, the core message of Christianity is that in Christ, if we repent of our sins and we come before the good judge and say, I'm guilty, I'm broken, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, please, please <laughs> grant me clemency. Please forgive me. He says, you're forgiven. And you can go free. So if you don't know Jesus tonight, I hope that you will consider coming to the good judge. You can come talk to me after the service. You can talk to pretty much anyone here, and we would love to tell you more about how you can have freedom and forgiveness in Jesus. I wanted to close with a story of long-awaited justice. Uh, it's from preaching today, so not super creative, but I thought it was a good story. It's the story of Nevis Coleman. Nevis Coleman resumed his job as groundskeeper for the Chicago White Sox. So if you like baseball, this story is for you. Uh, after an unexpected hiatus left him unavailable to work for 23 years. See, in 1994, Coleman was charged and convicted of rape and murder. He spent the next two decades behind bars until last November when prosecutors vacated his conviction after considering DNA evidence that should have ruled him out as a suspect. Several months later, a Cook County judge granted Coleman a certificate of innocence, which officially cleared his name of all related charges. Can you imagine what this man went through? 20 years, 23 years of being behind bars for a crime he did not commit. I don't know about you, but I would be pretty angry. <laughs> I don't know if Coleman is a believer. Uh, the, the news articles, they didn't, they didn't focus in on that. But we're going to experience injustice in our own lives. It may last years. And it's an opportunity for us to come before Jesus and to pray. And to pray, Lord, grant me justice. You've already granted me a certificate of innocence in Christ, but would you grant me justice? The story continues that while maintaining a steadfast belief in his innocence, he never lost hope, Coleman always looked back fondly on the time he spent working with the team, which felt very much like a family. And after his release, friends and family members reached out to the White Sox organization, delighted by an official invite to come and reapply for his old job. After rehiring him, the team issued an official statement. We're grateful that after more than two decades, justice has been carried out for Nevis. The team said in a statement, it has been a long time, but we're thrilled that we have the opportunity to welcome him back to the White Sox family. We're looking forward to having Nevis back on opening day at home in our ballpark. And this is a picture of Nevis. He's the guy in the center with the white shirt. He's back at his ballpark at his old job. He's been restored. He's been declared innocent. In Christ Jesus, each one of us is declared innocent. And we can be confident. We can be assured that Jesus will return and he will grant justice. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that one day you're going to come, hopefully soon. The thunder and the lightning reminds us that one day you're going to come. You're going to come and you're going to grant 
complete and final justice. And we know that you have already dealt with the injustice in our own hearts. Lord, if there's any in here in this room that don't know you, would you help them find mercy through forgiveness through you? And would you deal with those social structures or situations in our society around us that are so unjust, especially those ones that confuse us that we don't have the best solution for? Would you help us deal with them? Would you help our culture deal with them? Oh, we love you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Come quickly, come soon. It's in your name we pray. Amen.